Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to go all NPR on you and say this program is being broadcast live. You notice how they now, the first word on the NPR newscasts in the United States is live. Like, who would be delaying the news? Well, I mean, aside from the TV evening news, which has always been delayed for our convenience on the West Coast. But who in radio would delay the news? I mean, there are a lot of people on radio who deny the news or defy the news, but delay the news? I don't think so. So live, hello. Um, We are guinea pigs, ladies and gentlemen. As a matter of fact, the only difference between us and actual guinea pigs is that they know they're guinea pigs. Uh, Case in point, dozens of, or at least a dozen, varieties of pharmaceutical medications. There's your redundancy of the day department. department. Um, Dozens of them, residues of them, are uh, apparently in a what was supposed to be a clean estuary in the state of Washington. It was supposed to be clean because it was being used as a control for a uh, scientific investigation into water that was known to be infested with such residues. But even the clean one, your Prozac, your your, uh, antibiotics, all sorts of psychoactive medications, where juvenile Chinook salmon, I didn't say schnook, uh, frolic about. So, um, you know, it's in our salmon. It's in our wild, fresh salmon, ladies and gentlemen. Just this cocktail. And scientists, science has never, there's never, nobody has ever paid scientists to figure out, well, what's that cocktail like? They, they examine the effects of individual drugs, although probably not on Chinook salmon. But a cocktail? Oh, no. That's for us to not know and find out. And over here in the United Kingdom, which the show is originating this week, live, did I mention? Mars. They used to make just candy and a planet, but uh, now they make all sorts of processed foods. And this week they announced they're introducing new labeling, advising consumers that their uh, ready-made pasta sauces, you know, processed food, high in sugar, salt, and fat, is not for everyday eating. It's a spe- it's special occasion poison. No, it should be eaten only occasionally. New labels on its savory pasta and rice products to help shoppers distinguish between everyday foods and those which should be eaten, nah, ideally, no more than once a week. They're going to reformulate some of their processed foods by reducing salt, added sugar, and fat. Those should taste good. Without any of that, use your imagination. Uh, they also make Uncle Ben's rice products. They'll uh, expand their healthier, multi-grained options. But in the meantime, you figure out something else cheap to eat every day, won't you? Thank you very much. Um, and now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the godly. The Roman Catholic Church in Uruguay has apologized for sexual abuses committed by priests 20 years ago that went unpunished because of the statute of limitations. Uruguay's Episcopal Conference, it's Catholic, but you know what I mean, said in a letter on its website, it feels pain and shame 
about the abhorrent acts committed by people who had promised to serve God and neighbor. The letter comes after news reports on abuses by priests in Uruguay. The church launched an investigation after it received reports of three cases of people abused by priests while in their teens. The allegations led one man to leave the priesthood, another was removed after an investigation. Too late for criminal charges. And a Catholic priest has offended parents at a uh, school in Australia by comparing pedophile priests to adulterous women in a school newsletter. I didn't know that's where you could find adulterous women. No, he, in his comparison. Parish priest Father Bill Edabohis took aim at lawyers in the media for not showing enough mercy during the investigation into child sex abuse by the church, saying it wouldn't give victims an opportunity to heal, you see. His comparison with uh, adulterous women harkens back to uh, the Bible, of course. And uh, he said uh, he tried to pick a contemporary example of what might have been a woman adulterer of 2,000 years ago who would have been looked on entirely differently. That's... uh, according to the archdiocese spokesman. The priest himself said, it was not always easy to take a story from 2,000 years ago and bring it into the modern era. Yeah, well, who said it was going to be easy? Hello, welcome to the show.
from London, England, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now... News of the Olympic Movement. Produced by Jim Ebersole, Jr., Hope Solo has been one of the most outspoken athletes against the Rio Olympics after the outbreak of the Zika virus. But after doing, quote, a lot of research, the U.S. women's soccer team goalkeeper has decided to travel and participate in the games. Quote, it's clear there are still so many unknowns and risks involved with going to the games, but I will compete in Rio and take the necessary precautions to protect myself as best I can, Solo said. Officials at the Center for Disease Control and Prevention confirmed earlier this week, as you probably know, the Zika virus does, in fact, lead to microcephaly, causing infants to be born with small heads and brain damage. Quote, never before in history has there been a situation where a bite from a mosquito can result in a devastating malformation to the director of the CDC. I'm disheartened, said Hope Solo, that the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, will not be moving the games from Manaus. The uh, games open there. Uh, with uh, uh, The women's national soccer team opens the games there against Colombia in Manaus. There is where mosquitoes that carry Zika were an issue during the World Cup two years ago. Uh, so Hope Solo disheartened that the IOC will not be moving the games from Manaus to at least help the risk. Knowing what we know about Zika, she said, it's irresponsible, unquote. The IOC irresponsible? Why, that couldn't be. Just four months before the opening ceremony of the Rio Games, investigators say a probe which had long centered around the state oil company and its contractors in Brazil had found evidence of bribes potentially paid in two key Olympic construction projects, an urban renewal project in histo- Rio's historical port zone, and a new metro line. Congratulations. Same probe also alleged that the Sao Paulo Stadium that was rehabbed for the World Cup had involved about $150,000 from the company in charge of the renovation. It's The chief executive of that company is now serving a 19-year prison sentence for corruption and money laundering. A judge has blocked about $35 million in public funds for a secondary Olympic complex, complex that will host basketball and BMX, citing evidence of fraud in the project. And federal agents in Brazil last week announced an investigation into fraud at sewage treatment plants that could explain the persistently unsanitary water in Guanabara Bay. Rio Olympic chiefs are talking, taking on staff to keep golf stars safe from alligator-like caiman and capybara, the world's biggest rodents. The exotic wildlife lives in vegetation surrounding the new multi-million dollar golf course constructed for the Games. Golf is back for the first time in more than a century. That'll be exciting. At least five trained handlers will scare animals on the golf course, including caiman and capybaras. Capybaras weigh in at 100 pounds. Specially trained staff will be on standby to transport the animals from one side of the course to another. Organizers say there will be no risk to players or members of the public. Caiman are known to flee when surrounded by people. Heck, that makes me a caiman, I guess. Development of the course, which cost about $10 million, attracted criticism from campaigners in the city who claimed it was damaged the environment in an IOC executive board meeting last year 
was interrupted by protesters who branded President Thomas Bach a nature killer. No, he's just a nature mover. The Olympics. It's a movement. And we all need one. Every day! Ladies and gentlemen, maybe, maybe you're like me, or maybe you're just like me, but maybe you were uh, fascinated, as I was, by the recently concluded, although I think the last episode is yet to air uh, here in London, here in England. So, spoiler alert, he, they, they don't uh, convict him. Uh, uh, the uh, television miniseries, uh, The People vs. O.J. Simpson. I, I you know, marveled at the, a lot of the acting in the show, and uh, also just, you know, Going back to those those silly old days when um, a lot of people would watch the same thing on television, despite warnings that Americans' uh, attention spans had shrunk, people watched a boring old trial for eight months just because it was about a celebrity. That has no relevance to the current political campaign, I'm sure. But the last episode was the one that I think the producers may have shown, tipped their hand a little bit at who they wanted you to sympathize with because uh, in the last episode they presented excerpts that you had to excerpt the closing statements. They went on for days of the prosecution. And when uh, Prosecutor Christopher Darden in the show presented his closing statement, it did not include the three words everybody who watched the trial remembered, the only three words they remembered from his closing statement. I don't know if you watched uh, either the trial or the series. But in the trial, after going through the evidence and the testimony and characterizing the defendant and so forth, Darden suddenly uh, went into sort of a um, a little uh, fugue thing about uh, the defense case was comprised of smoke and mirrors. And then smoke led him to say, visualize to the jury, visualize a house that smoke is coming from. It's the smoke is coming from this house. And inside this house is a baby. And the baby is justice. I know we often, most often think of justice as a strong woman, but please, for this one time, visualize justice as a baby. And your job, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, is to save baby justice. Now that, that was sillier than the glove bit or, um, weirder than the Mark Furman bit, but they left that out of the show because they didn't want you to feel Christopher Darden had um, totally lost control of his senses and uh, found himself uh, telling the jury to, quote, save baby justice, unquote. It was, though, as I say, an interesting uh, time to look back on uh, thanks to nonfiction television, so to speak. Um, One of the most iconic characters, of course, to come out of the O.J. Simpson trial was uh, a certain witness whose um, who's, who's, uh, command of the English language seemed to evaporate the moment he got on the stand. But uh, fortunately for him, he enjoyed a uh, rather unique second act after the trial. Coming next month your public television station the outdoor concert spectacle that electrified an entire countryside 
It happened only once, but you can see it every night, all through a special Pledge Plus Month. Master Maestro John Tesh teams with Master Storyteller Brian Cato Kalin to bring you and your children an unforgettable performance of Peter and the Wolf. Uh, once upon a time, um, there was, you know, this, um, like a, like, not a girl, you know, like, um, a boy, Peter, um, and, uh, he lived with his, um, a grandfather, you know, in a house. Um, it was, um, well, it wasn't in the, you know, for, there was a forest, in, you know, it was like near, near the forest. Uh, and early, you know, kind of before, before noon, in the, in the, in the, um, you know, before noon, uh, Peter went, you know, went to the gate and, and opened it and, uh, went in, into the, uh, you know, where the green, green is, the meadow. Kofiev's perennially charming story and music get rocketed into the 90s by two of America's most unique and uniquely American talents. And it's not on cable. It's not in your video store. And it's certainly not on some interactive digital computer telephone link that's five years away. Kalen and Tesh in Peter and the Wolf are here now, only on public TV. Okay, so the cat thought, um, that bird is so busy, you know, arguing. Not, you know, angry, but arguing. Uh, it'll never notice me sneaking up, you know, on, um, coming from behind, you know, he'll, uh, he'll make a, a good, <laughs> not lunch, you know, before, like, but a bit, not din, it's, you eat in the morning, breakfast. Peter, his grandfather, the bird, the duck, the cat, and the wolf. They come alive in Kato Kalin's hypnotically vivid storytelling style. Is he the garrison killer of the 90s? Certainly John Tesh thinks so. That's why he added his musical flair and gusto to this spectacular event. It's one way your public television station can say thank you in advance for the contribution you'll be reminded to give throughout this very special television evening. Okay, so the bird almost touched the wolf's head with his, you know, wings, and when the wolf snapped angrily at him from, uh, you know, uh, this side and that side, you know, both sides. Yes, so the wolf never noticed, you know, Peter. His wolf never saw, I mean, Peter's with the rope, you know, he's got the rope, and... The wolf, he was angry. I mean, he was furious. I mean, he was, he was angry. Um, I'll catch that bird if it's the last thing I do, he, he said. I, I, he, we're, you know, the, not those were like, he said, but the bird was, you know, smart, cl clever, you know, and the wolf <laughs> couldn't do anything. I mean, could, couldn't do anything. 
you see only one public television fundraising musical special this fiscal quarter, this should be the one. John Tesh brings the music. Brian Cato Kalin brings the words. And public television brings you. Just then, a, a group of, um, you know, they shoot, they hunt, they hunt, hunt, they hunt. Uh, yes, they came out of uh, the forest, you know, because the wolf had a, a smell, you know, a, a, a trail, the following trail, and sh like shooting as, you know, like they, as they go shoot with, you know, hunters. subsidies is what public television is all about. Make a date. Tesh. Kalen. Peter. Next month on public television. We're not just for smart people anymore. We're seeing through you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the most transparent administration in American history. There's a growing scandal over cooked intelligence about IS. Analysts are now saying, according to the Daily Beast, they are being forced out for not towing the administration's line on the war. Two senior intelligence analysts at Central Command in Florida, Tampa, say the military has forced them out of their jobs because of their skeptical reporting on U.S.-backed rebel groups in Syria. This according to three sources with knowledge of their claim. It's the first known instance of possible reprisals against the CENTCOM personnel after analysts accused their bosses of manipulating intelligence reports about the U.S.-led campaign against IS for the purpose of painting a rosy picture of progress in the war. One of the analysts alleging reprisals is the top analyst in charge of Syria issues at CENTCOM. He and a colleague doubted rebels' capabilities and their commitment to U.S. objectives in the region. The analysts have been effectively sidelined from their positions, will no longer be working at CENTCOM, according to two individuals familiar with the dispute. The analysts' skeptical views put them at odds with military brass, who last year had predicted that a so-called moderate opposition would make up a 15,000-man ground force to take on IS. You know, that ended up being four or five American-trained fighters. The CENTCOM commander finally had to admit that to Congress. The Pentagon Inspector General and a Congressional Task Force are investigating allegations of doctored intelligence reports about IS. The working environment at CENTCOM has been described as toxic and hostile. Daily Beast previously reported more than 50 CENTCOM analysts have said that senior officials gave more scrutiny and pushback on reports that suggested U.S. efforts to destroy IS weren't progressing. Analysts that took a more optimistic view of the war effort got comparatively less attention from higher-ups. And in a separate development, the head of Iraq analysis at CENTCOM is being reassigned to a position here in the United Kingdom, according to three sources knowledgeable about it. He was identified last year by the New York Times as leading the group of analysts that raised objections about the IS reports. There's no evidence that his reassignment was retaliation. Some suggest he had requested the change to get out of the toxic plane. This, this so sounds 
like uh, the intelligence analysts in the United States, Australia, and Great Britain in counter-proliferation uh, activities who said before the Iraq War that the intelligence was being massaged to um, administration specifications. But this, ladies and gentlemen, this is the most transparent administration in American history. And we can see right through them. Now, uh, apropos of the uh, experiments that we're under, because we're the guinea pigs, a study conducted by researchers at Michigan State University shows that overuse of antibiotics in pig farming is a major contributor to the expansion of superbugs or bacteria that are resistant to a wide range of antibiotics. The lead author of the study explained that the antibacterial disinfectants and antibiotics added to animal feed may boost the prevalence of superbugs. They based their findings on data collected from Chinese swine farms. The Chinese swine farms are killing us with the swine farms. Farmers usually resort to antibiotics to ensure that livestock stay healthy and grow faster. Scientists found that those farms were plagued by antibiotic-resistant bacteria. The uh, author explained it's not easy to track the source of antibiotic resistance because the drugs are so widely spread and resistance gets transmitted from one microorganism to another. Only we could make them less social, the microorganisms, you know? We could make them more standoff, more standoffish bacteria, ladies and gentlemen. That's the research project of the future. Well, I don't need no vitamins or tonics. Hormones off some monkey in the trees. I don't need no high or low colonics or jelly from royal honeybees. I got to get me some seeds. I don't need no Turkish bath or sauna. I don't want no pills from no MDs. I could stay awake, but I don't wanna. Cause I'd be walking around on my knees. I got to get me some Z's. I'm talking about Z's. To zipper up those ravel sleeves of care. Z's. To mend a mind in disrepair. Well, I don't need no heavy conversation. Ain't got wind enough to shoot the breeze. I don't need no free association with some Beverly Hills Viennese. I got to get me some Z's. Now I can dig exactly where my head's at. I can diagnose my own disease. Just lock me up and leave me where my bed's at. With a sign that says, go away, please. This man is getting some Z's. I peek in the mirror, my face is frozen. Like a man who's dying by degrees. Looks as if my eyes are almost closing. I'm beginning to look Japanese. I better get me some Z's. I'm talking about Z's. Zipper up those ravel sleeves of care. Seize to mend a mind in disrepair. I don't want no whiskey or no highballs. I don't 
don't need no headaches or DTs. I'll dig these satchels underneath my eyeballs. Now, if I'm going to get rid of these, I better get me some seeds. I better get me some seeds. I better get me some Z's Good night From London, this is Le Show, and now, news of the warm, won't you? I think you know that you will. Well, you may have heard already, NASA has released the latest temperature data for the Earth. That's our, our planet, our home planet, showing that March of this year was the hottest March on record since reliable measurements began way back in 1880. The month was 2.3 degrees Fahrenheit, higher than the average temperature in March from 1951 through 1980, with particularly scorching temperatures in the Arctic, as been, has been the case throughout this year so far. This follows on temperatures for January and February that NASA data show were also the warmest for their respective months in the agency's data set. Temperature departures in 2016 have so far exceeded even those in 2015, up to now the official warmest year on record. Scientists believe this extreme heat reflects both a now-weakening El Nino event, always weakening, and the background influence of climate change. Greenland has shown major melting earlier in the year than any time on record. The Arctic sea ice has set several records so far this year for low winter extent. Researchers have reinforced a finding of a scientific consensus in favor of anthropogenic influence on climate change. In a new paper published this week in the journal Environmental Research Letters, the paper finds an overwhelming majority of climate experts agree on the issue, and that even though the contrarian movement begs to differ, there's no substantial scientific debate on the subject. The consensus has been documented by many studies over the years. Um, most widely cited was a paper in 2013 that 97.1% of scientists um, was, uh, it, the scientists were climate scientists, you see. I'm talking like Cato Kalin now. Earlier this year, a, a professor had published a, sci a, a comment criticizing that study, suggesting the percent, 95% may be too high. The um, new study points out that the, uh, the critical analysis included the comments and opinions of scientists who weren't studying climate change or climate. You know, other kinds of scientists that had uh, swayed or, or uh, moved the needle in the direction of uh, less consensus than if you just limited the study to scientists who actually knew what they were talking about. The EPA has released a major upward revision to its estimates of total emissions of methane. We got more methane. It's a hard-hitting, if short-lived, greenhouse gas in its annual inventory. The revisions will further increase the stakes in a, the political battle over regulations that the EPA is preparing to issue that could affect operations at thousands of oil and gas wells. The data show that methane emissions 
from oil and gas are higher than previously estimated, said the EPA. The oil and gas sector is the largest emitting sector for methane, accounting for a third of total U.S. methane emissions. Prior inventories, such as last year's, suggested that the highest source of methane in the United States was ruminant animals like cattle and other livestock, rather than the oil and gas industry. Cattle and other livestock, because they've been fed stuff that makes them go... Dayline Hanover, New Hampshire, clear cutting of trees loosens up carbon stored in forest soils, increasing the chances it will return to the atmosphere as carbon dioxide and contribute to climate change, according to a new study from Dartmouth, appearing in the journal Soil Science. I I was supposed to get a free subscription. I don't know what happened. Soil is the largest terrestrial carbon pool in the world in northern Hardwood forests, especially in the United States, mineral soil pools store up to 50% of total ecosystem carbon. Logging and other land use changes cause soil carbon release, but there's been recent interest to further understand soil carbon dynamics after logging, and apparently clear-cutting releases more carbon than cutting just selected trees. Aside from that, it looks nice, though. Look, see, they're all gone. News of the warm, ladies and gentlemen a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now. Yes, it's a a pregnant pause because this is a story pregnant with meaning. University of California, Davis, the ag school of the University of California system, you know, the ones that invented the square tomato, look it up. They made a deal with consultants for at least $175,000, taxpayer money, to scrub the Internet to take away negative online postings following the November 2011 incident in which a couple of cops, university police, peppered sprayed protesting students and also to improve the reputations of both the university and the chancellor, Linda P.B. Katehi. This is according to newly released documents published in the Sacramento Bee. The payments were made as the university was trying to boost its image online. They were among several contracts issued for the purpose following the pepper spray incident. Some payments were made in hopes of improving the results computer users obtained when Googling for information about the university or the chancellor, results that one consultant had labeled venomous rhetoric about UC Davis and the chancellor. Others sought to improve the school's use of social media and to devise a new plan for the UC Davis Strategic Communications Office, which has seen its budget rise substantially since the chancellor took her post in 2009. Money to pay the consultants came from the Communications Department budget. The documents reflect an aggressive effort to counteract an avalanche of negative publicity that arose after the pepper spraying of student protesters by campus police. Fallout from that incident, you may recall, continued for more than a year as as investigations and lawsuits played out and spurred criticism of UC Davis and demands that the chancellor resign. The um, consultant outlined uh, these objectives. Eradication of references to the pepper spray incident in search results on Google for the university and the chancellor. The uh, officials of the university were to be advised on the use of Google platforms as part of an aggressive and comprehensive online campaign to eliminate the negative search results for the university and its chancellor. I'll fix that.
We'll put that on Google. Now, ladies and gentlemen, um, to the political campaign, you uh, may have seen the uh, the rancorous debate between uh, the two remaining Democratic uh, hopefuls for the presidency, Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton in New York this week. Rancorous. I would say it was full of New York values. That is to say, everybody, including the audience, was yelling. Um, earlier in the week, the New York Times reported, uh, this is a related story, although it may not seem like it right away, on... Uh, the latest of the settlements involving the big banks and the whole uh, mortgage thing. This time it was about $5 billion, supposedly. Uh, although the New York Times did something that uh, it, it hasn't previously done when, when reporting on these settlements. You had to turn to Eve Smith's invaluable naked capitalism to learn this uh, in the settlements, say, with Bank of America and uh, a couple of the other big banks. But the Times did report this week that although the Headline figure for the settlement was $5 billion from Goldman Sachs. In fact, um, much less might in, in, uh, actually get spent by Goldman Sachs. Much less money uh, could end up in the hands of homeowners who were harmed or, you know, lost their homes or stuff like that. Um, so it was uh, a uh, – and, and, of course, nobody went to jail. Nobody had to admit that uh, anything really bad happened. Um, It comes into play, of course, because one of the chief arguments that erupted during the uh, debate between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders was over uh, contributions that the Clinton campaign and and Clinton previously had received from the financial industry, and with particular focus in that debate on uh, speeches she delivered uh, for a hefty price tag to Goldman Sachs and the incessant or continuing demand by the uh, Sanders campaign that she make uh, the transcripts of those speeches public. She said she will do so when everybody else did. I don't know who that includes. Is that every other Democratic presidential candidate, every other presidential candidate, everybody else in the world? Not clear. Anyway, um, Friday, the day after the debate, the voices were lowered a little bit. Hillary Clinton uh, did a remarkable photo op where she played dominoes 
with uh, old uh, elderly Latinos in East Harlem. And you know what? She won. Go figure. Yes, there's another episode of Clinton something next here on the show. Clinton something. The campaign years. You know, hon, I, I hate to be putting a speed bump in this process, but, uh, well, you know, I just can't stop thinking about tomorrow. Bill, you're making me sorry I ever chose that as your theme song. <laughs> I always hated it. But I just think we could cut through this process a lot faster if we edited the, the transcript instead Look, of... the words on paper can't convey some of the playfulness of my delivery. On paper, it sounds a lot worse than it does when you watch the tape, that's all. I know, but... The primary is Tuesday, mm -hmm. and there's, what, six speeches to watch and edit? Mm -hmm. That's an awful lot of diet pizzas we're going to have to order in. There's got to be other stuff we can order. We're in Manhattan, for God's sake. Hun, mm -hmm. we're in Harlem. You know, your home. <laughs> Look, the longer we argue about this, the longer it's going to take. Let's just strap it on and get moving. Well... When you put it that way. Good evening. I'm so happy to be with you, wonderful folks here tonight. For so many of us in New York, the name Goldman Sachs is the gold standard of financial acumen. My favorite kind of men, by the way. We can lose that, right? Gold standard? Bad joke. Okay. I blame Huma. I know. That's what she's there for. Cool. Let's lose it and move on. Yes, ma'am. We all know that the financial industry is getting something of a battering from the media these days. I'm uh, a bit of an expert on the subject of media batterings. <laughs> <laughs> and based on my experience, my advice to you folks would be to hire James Carville and let him, as he once put it, open a can of whoop-ass on Paula Jones. <laughs> what? Kind of obvious, what? Bill, it's a joke. It's old news. And when it was news, it wasn't really news. This is a biggie for you? Just think you want to seem more, uh, you know, relevant. I thought saying whoop-ass accomplished that. Mm-mm. Made you sound old school. Oh, nice. Playing the granny card. <laughs> I'm not... Fine. It's out. Onward. But seriously, I have to disagree with your chairman, uh, Lloyd Blankfein, who recently said he thought Goldman Sachs was doing God's work. This we can use. The way I see it, God is doing Goldman Sachs's work. <laughs> or not. You know something? What? I think this would work better as a transcript. I mean, these... These laughs are kind of weak, don't you think? They're finance guys. They only laugh at numbers. Okay. Keep going? Yes. It gets better. Mm. Reason to live. 
As some of you know, I guess all of you know, I'm in the president's cabinet. I see Eric Holder on a weekly basis. Uh, to be fair, we don't talk about the Justice Department's case against your company. But I do think I can tell you folks one thing. The slap marks on your wrist should heal very soon. Well, so far we've got good evening. Not really that much of a transcript. Not helping. You know, we could just release the transcript of your domino game in East Harlem instead. Much less redacting to do. Really not helping. Look, let's just cut out all the humorous parts and go straight to the policy stuff. Less embarrassing? More opaque. Okay. But you know what? Hmm? I've got New York in the bag. Let's reset the deadline for all this and give ourselves some time. California primaries not till June. We can make June. Easy. Tell you what? Yeah. I'm going to go cancel the diet pizza. Youthful angst and middle-aged need to serve. Together they add up to Clinton something. The campaign years. Send me a line. I'm dying. 
Now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. Deadline Canberra, Australia, the Australian wing of fast food giant KFC. Hey, you you want to find a lot of KFCs? Go to Saigon. Not kidding. Uh, They apologize for promoting its new spicy chicken with a photo many derided as a bit too spicy. The uh, tweet from the official KFC Australia account featured a photo of a woman and a man sitting on the couch with a woman reaching into the man's pixelated groin area. Wouldn't you like to have a pixelated... Warning, something hot and spicy is coming soon, the tweet said. NSFW, not safe for work is what that means. The Twitter post was deleted after a flurry of complaints. We're very sorry this occurred. We didn't mean to offend and remove the post as soon as we'd realized we'd made an error in judgment, said a KFC representative. The company later tweeted a full apology. We didn't mean to offend. And you really shouldn't eat it every day. Despite warnings from its Office of Inspector General in December 2000... Oh, no, this is a... That's the wrong story. Uh, Dateline Las Vegas Beauty Bar, a a, a bar on Fremont Street in uh, Las Vegas, has apologized after a photo of the bar's sign outside showing a joke about domestic violence went viral. A photo of the sign which read, I like my beer like I like my violence. Domestic was removed Thursday night. Calls to the bar were not answered, but they did apologize. Celebrity magazine, hello, has apologized to George Clooney for running an interview that the star says was completely fabricated. Hello said it bought the interview in good faith from an agency called Famous. In a statement Friday, it apologized unreservedly to Mr. Clooney and his wife for any distress that publication of this piece may have caused them. That's right. They bought an exclusive from somebody else. The director of Britain's super-secret spy agency... GCHQ has apologized for historic prejudice against gay people by the agency and the horrifying treatment of Alan Turing. Turing, of course, is uh, now famous for, uh, as the father of the modern computer, he led the famous Bletchley Park codebreakers who cracked Enigma, an encryption device used by the Nazis. He faced a criminal charge of indecency over his relationship with another man and after conviction in 1952 was ordered to undergo chemical castration. Two years later, he took his own life by eating an apple laced with cyanide. In 2013, he received a royal pardon. Sprint Corporation joined a long list of social media blunderers this week by posting an online video clip in which the CEO asked a customer to describe rival T-Mobile and she replied, quote, ghetto. This was a listening tour. The uh, CEO of of Sprint, well, they pulled the video clip from YouTube, and uh, the CEO acknowledged the poor word choice and then tweeted again to say the video clip was taken down to apologize for bad judgment on our part in posting it. In an emotional interview on MSNBC, Congressman Bobby Rush, who has endorsed Hillary Clinton, has apologized to the community for his vote in favor of the 1994 crime bill, which led to the massive rise in incarceration, particularly of young black men. Healthcare activist Paul Song on Wednesday used the phrase corporate whore to criticize Hillary Clinton's health care policy. He was speaking to a crowd of 27,000 at a Bernie Sanders rally in New York City. He apologized on Twitter late Wednesday 
Sanders was not yet at the rally when Song spoke. And Google is apologizing for an 18-minute outage of its cloud com- compute engine on uh, Monday. Don't trust the cloud, ladies and gentlemen. That's, that's good advice from the Apologies of the Week, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. trust uh, what I started to read you a moment ago is on point despite warnings from its own office of inspector general the department of health and human services in our good old United States has still not adequately tackled the issue of hospitals failing to employ safeguards to prevent electronic health records from fraud and abuse via recommended tools that's right hacking your health records ladies and gentlemen part of the digital wonderland. That's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next time, next week at the same time with one more of our April conversations. And um, so it will be uh, not live, but I, th- I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, over these same stations, over NPR worldwide throughout Europe on the USN 440 cable system in Japan, around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network, up and down the east coast of North America by the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet, on the mighty 104 in Berlin on Soho Radio. London, in London, around the world via the Internet at two different locations, live and archived, whenever you want it, harryshare.com and kcsn.org. Did I mention around the world via the uh, American Forces Network? Yes, sir. Available for your smartphone through stitcher.com, available as a free podcast. Hey, they're hot again. From Sideshow Network, SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn and WWNO.org. Free. Did I say that? And it'd be just like... Everybody releasing the texts of their speeches. If you'd agree to join with me then, would you already? Thank you very much. Uh Uh-huh. Tip of the show, chapeaus to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago in exile, and Hawaii decks. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead, to Jenny Lawson at WWNO in New Orleans. Must be Jenny, because jelly don't shake like that. And to uh, Adrian Bodnam here at 
the big obsession we call Global Radio in London. It doesn't have a mission statement. It has an obsession statement on the wall. Think of that for their help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program, playlist of the music heard here on, your opportunity to buy Cars I Talk t-shirts. Those opportunities don't, well, yeah, they do every day at harryshearer.com. And me, I'm the Harry Shearer on Twitter. Who are you? The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from London.